0: Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my next guest on the podcast today founded the Libertas Institute in 2011 and currently serves as its president, named one of Utah's most politically influential people by the Salt Lake Tribune. His leadership has led to dozens of legislative victories spanning a wide range of areas such as privacy, government transparency, property rights, drug policy, education, personal freedom, and oh so much more. uh, He's a public speaker and author of uh, 20 books and is best known for the Tuttle Twins books, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles, which has sold more than 700,000 copies. A California native and Brigham Young University graduate, neither of which we will hold him accountable. <laughs> uh, help me in welcoming uh, Connor Boyack.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Brian.
0: <laughs> Thanks for being here, sir. I'm I'm uh, glad to finally squeeze out some time to talk to you about this. And, yeah. uh, I think I met you back in like 2005 or six, and we were in a little business networking group in Utah County called Business Network International. You know, yeah, you were just a you were a web developer, and I was a yeah graphic designer
1: at the time. Those were the good old days. Good old days
0: (laughs) (laughs) scraping by and making (laughs) a living and trying to you know sell our wares to the...
1: That's how these things go.
0: (laughs) So and I know you you had a little you had a little blog post and you know you wrote articles back then and I, I think I read a couple of them and was pretty impressed with your writing ability and so now you've you've gone from that to this would you call yourself a political think tank or what would you call mm-hmm. it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're the think tank. I call myself a, a full-time freedom fighter.
0: Freedom fighter. And there's no shortage of work, unfortunately.
1: Uh, alas, you know, I don't think we'll ever be out of business in that sense.
0: So tell me what was this? I mean, did, did, did you kind of foresee getting to a position in a position like this, or was this, this I'm, I want to go to the backstory about, you know, what, have you always had this passion for this? No, yeah. Did you watch this is, you? Did you, were you always like this? Did I know your mom was in politics and stuff, so kind of give me a little history on that. Yeah,
1: she, I mean, she was on the city council. I, I never was like really political growing up, uh, you know, conservative, Republican, generic, you know, whatever. It wasn't really a focus or interest. And, um, you know, I went all the way through college. Uh, what's funny is I, you know, I didn't really enjoy institutional schooling at all and other than like the, you know, the social stuff or whatever, but, um, I, you know, I cheated. I, it, the goal was, you know, getting the letter grade. And so uh, I wanted to do other stuff and I wanted to put in the least amount of effort possible. And so, you know, I took shortcuts in that sense. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny, the subjects that I did the, the most poorly in were, you know, English, history, and uh, in college, it was economics. Couldn't stand that economics class I had to take for the the uh, general education requirement. And, and it's funny now, I, I've kind of flipped my career, and my career is English history and economics. All three of things I know. So. And, and, yeah. And the, well, it's one thing to sit in an English class and say, you know, you're now going to learn the past participle subjunctive of the English language. Like, who gives a fling <laughs> and a rip? what yeah. brains out. Right. Like, I I don't care. But like when I, when I, as you point out, I had a blog and when I realized that I wrote poorly, I'm like, oh, crap, I, I suck at writing. I need to figure out how to do better. And I didn't crack open an English textbook and learn the semantic structure of, you know, the English language. I just read a lot and I observed how other people uh, wrote well. And I kind of mimicked and absorbed uh, their style to, to make my own and along the way improved just kind of organically because I have had a motivation and an interest to apply that learning to rather than sitting in a class and when will I ever use it? Oh, trust me, you'll use it someday. You know, like that that, that that that. stuff. Yeah, that stuff doesn't absorb well. So anyways, I get all the way through college, you know, whatever. And it was after college where I started to develop kind of this interest in uh, American history, political science, economics. And it was just kind of passing on the side. Started the blog in 2005 when blogging was kind of the, the latest and greatest thing. And developed a bit of a readership, and uh, several years later, that led to uh, writing a book. And I, uh, that book's called Latter-day Liberty. It's basically, uh, in a nutshell, it's why Mormons should be libertarians. And uh, I had a gentleman uh, tell me I shouldn't publish the book, and this gentleman was the head of uh, uh, another think tank. And he's, he basically said, Oh, you might regret it someday when you kind of grow out of your views and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, dude, you know? And, and then I realized, um, oh, and then he, then he says, you know, I can see you running a think tank someday. You've, you know, got a lot of promise or whatever. And, and that little seed, like it, it was, it was kind of a diplomatic exchange, even though this guy and I kind of butted heads a lot. And, and, uh, but he kind of planted the seed of like, huh. Think tank, like I had been kind of jumping around different organizations and kind of a volunteer capacity. I was a full time at this point as a senior web developer. I was doing well in kind of the you know private uh, industry, whatever. But uh, I had this kind of like full time volunteer uh, side hustle that wasn't paying me anything. That was sat you know taking up all my free time, but I loved it. I I loved trying to get involved and figure out how to make a difference and, and influence uh, the process. And so. Uh, him kind of planting that that seed of of you know think tank. I'm like, oh, maybe that's the you know right way to do it. And so that ultimately led to me uh, figuring out how to launch my own nonprofit, start my own think tank, and uh, that was 2011, and haven't looked back since.
0: Well, you've you've uh, you made quite a ruckus in in the state, which is awesome, and it's kind of helped me see. You know how our our government, if left unchecked, will just trickle and slowly, you know, creep, in, and then you you're, you know your rights are limited or gone. Yeah, and it's uh it's so subtle that we don't even notice it. Yep. So, what? D- d- how how do you like choose your your next battle, for lack of a better term?
1: Yeah. That's a that's a, a timely question. Just because literally two days ago we got done with our strategic planning meetings as a team. Uh, at this point, Libertas Institute has about a dozen people, um, and uh, every given year we're pushing you know forty, fifty some odd uh, different issues, and so we're we're very active and prolific and and energetic. <clears throat> so, you know, it becomes very hard to kind of distill down out of the you know. Many, many, many dozens, if not hundreds, of of ideas and issues and, and projects we might want to work on. How do you prioritize? And so we go through this kind of beefy strategic planning process to determine, you know, what is the political landscape. What are our unique, you know, qualifying. Um, Uh, factors that we might be more successful on one thing versus another? How strong is the opposition on each of these issues? How big of an impact will each of these issues have? Will we be able to fundraise because we're a nonprofit? We need to find people who support these things that can help us, you know, in that kind of common cause. So we kind of have this whole analysis uh, that we perform to kind of run all these issues through the gauntlet and distill down, you know, what are the things that will have the most impact, help the most people be most realistic. and it's, you know, that, that's kind of how we do maybe, you know, two thirds of our work. The other third is, you know, something that we just do anyways, even if it's, you know, we're not likely to succeed or uh, we don't know of any donors who agree with this, you know, but we think it's something important. So we'll still kind of lift from the, you know, the cutting room floor, some issues that we just think ought to be worked on. And then also, of course, there's 104 legislators in our state each of whom is working on their own things that they want to do. So we always have to leave time and energy um, kind of in our capacity to respond to what everyone else is doing. Uh, Other organizations, either allies or opponents, um, everyone else has their own agenda pushing their own stuff. Some of it's great and we agree with and we want to be supportive and, you know, help where we can. And then a lot of it is, you know, stuff that we really oppose. And so we have to be able to, have uh, the bandwidth to to respond to that. So it is kind of this very elaborate, uh, complex uh, process, I should say, to uh, distill down what it is uh, that we ultimately want to work on. But um, but there is a process, and it's, it's worked for us so far. And so uh, we just actually got done with that a few days ago, and uh, starting to kind of finalize uh, what we're going to be working on over the next year. So what are, what are some of the biggest challenges? you know, to doing what you do? <clears throat> so what I tell people is we change hearts, minds, and laws. And, in uh, and, and and in that order, because look, we can go change the laws, but if people don't agree, if the broader, you know, population is, is not supportive of that, ultimately that pressure, that opposition will overtake the short-term reform that we did, and it'll just revert back. Someone else will run an amendment or repeal the, the law or whatever, if, you know, the population is kind of there with you. Um, and so you got to have a, a broader, you know, public who is supportive of these ideas that that's tough, especially with our public education system, which, you know, for all the great teachers trying to do their best, I, I am extremely, extremely critical of our public education system. And, uh, you know, to, to understand why, I would just encourage people to hop on YouTube and and look up those like man on the street videos. Uh there there are a bunch on college campuses, high school seniors uh being asked just basic questions and and uh they've no clue, you know. And obviously editing those videos you cherry pick, but the fact that they can find so many people who don't have just, you know basic knowledge um the fact that you know colleges have to basically reteach and remediate all of the these high school classes that people take as they get to college and they don't have basic comprehension levels uh, that are sufficient to have higher education be taught. I just think there are so, so many problems with our public education system. And uh, so for someone like myself, who's trying to influence and our team, we're trying to influence what voters think about something, you know, I, I don't, uh, it becomes an obstacle in the sense that we find ourselves having not only to teach certain principles but also to get people to unlearn certain beliefs that they've come to. Um, That's part of the reasons why we uh, launched this Tuttle twins children's book project was to kind of compete for the hearts and minds of the rising generation, because you go look at the little uh, textbooks and curriculum that uh, third graders, fifth graders, seventh graders, whatever, are being exposed to. And uh, there's a lot of inadequacies. There's a lot of shortcomings and, and so we feel it's important. First, you got to educate the the public, and then you know you got to go fight to change the laws along the way. So it is it is kind of complementary. It's not like we're not going to go try and change the law until the polls show that you know eighty percent of people agree. Like sometimes you know the law will kind of get out ahead of where people are, or a lot of times people just don't even care. And so we'll say, well, let's go change the law because it's not like the public is going to have this big backlash because they so strongly disagree. Uh, so many people are checked out and apathetic and ignorant to the process and so forth that a lot of times you can just go about changing the law and you know, the public just doesn't care, which I think is part of the problem that so many people have been trying and able to change the law uh, in a bad way in our view over time because the public is apathetic and ignorant and so forth. And so um, it's kind of this, you know, complimentary process. Sometimes the law gets out ahead of where people are at. Sometimes the people are ahead of where the law is willing to go. And we, were fighting to legalize medical cannabis the public was very supportive and the law had not yet caught up so it is kind of this you know duality that we're always trying to deal with
0: what, what you know you mentioned you know people being apathetic and just not caring what, what is do you think that's something that's been around forever or is that more and more people are just disheartened with you know their their leaders their government
1: you know i um it's kind of a, a, a historical fallacy, I think, for us to look back and assume that, you know, oh, in early America, everyone was engaged and everyone was paying attention and, you know, it's our modern society where everyone's distracted. Um, I, I think that is a fallacy. I don't believe that's correct. However, I think in terms of, like, a relative basis, there, there's truth there. What I mean by that is, you know, I, I believe that decades ago... Um, and certainly, centuries, you definitely had people who were more informed and engaged in what was happening. But I think a large reason for that is that a lot less was happening back then, and there were far fewer modes of communication um, having an explosion of information where everyone has their own platform to be an idiot and spout their views, and you know you don't have to you know convince an editor uh, to hire you as a columnist and a newspaper that you and write well and think clearly and avoid logical fallacies and so forth. Now everyone can be their own publisher and, and we don't have, you know, three channels uh, on TV. Like when our parents or grandparents were grown up, we got like 3000 and social media and YouTube and blah, 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 blah. Like I, I, I'm a technologist. I'm a futurist. I love uh, all the things that we have, but they come at a cost. And when people are so easily distracted, uh, when, we have just information overload. It's like when you go to like, you know, in and out, you go to in and out. It's very easy to pick what you want to eat. Cause there's like a few options. Yeah. If you know the hidden menu, right. You get some fun secret stuff you can order, but by and large you show up. It's or pretty bangs. simple. Yeah. Right. Things and they do it well. It's brilliant. You, you sit down at a, a, you know, your typical restaurant. I remember I went to a Thai place the other day and the menu was like eight pages long. And, and there's if literally you get up and walk out. Yeah. You get what's called decision paralysis. At least I do. And a lot of people do. You sit down and you're like, I don't know. (laughs) There's, there's too much. And I feel like it's that way uh, as kind of a negative side to our social media driven world, our information uh, overload that we have is that it becomes uh, very difficult to sift and and to triage what is worth my time and what isn't. Like all of us have that problem where I, I need to go clean or I need to go play with the kids or I need to go, you know, do whatever, but I'm sitting here scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, it, it's very hard for us to kind of triage our time and attention. And so I think that has really complicated people's ability to pay attention to what's happening in the government to care. Because if I've got all these things now, now before, you know, my friends' troubles and people in my social circles, maybe they would share it with me, maybe at a social event, or maybe they'd write me a letter But now when we are bombarded all day, every day with all the things our friends are doing and what they care about and all their problems and blah, 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 blah. Like in a lot of ways, that's great. But in a lot of ways, that's, that's, it's hard to manage the consumption of that much information. And when you're being bombarded with information to, to then have all this like political and government stuff that most people feel like they can't impact. So why should I pay attention? Why should I bother? I'm just going to check out. And so I, I feel like, uh, that is kind of a negative side effect of our modern society. And it has created a problem where over time government grows and uh, the fewer people that pay attention and, you know, fight back and guard their freedoms and so forth, um, the easier it is for, you know, those in power to consolidate more power at our expense. And so I I do feel that it is kind of a a modern thing where there's been this uptick in the growth of government. Just look at the, the debt, you know, the national debt just skyrocketing in recent years. Uh, past few decades relative to the decades and, and centuries before it's it's uh there there's kind of a, a hastening in a bad way and uh kind of feels like the titanic is heading for the iceberg
0: yeah i agree it's it's uh the distractions are are mind blowing um and i've i've checked out i mean i used to be a uh, talk show radio news junkie for 18 years i watched everything because i felt like i needed to be the watchman on the tower to protect my family and Mm -hmm. all it was pissed me off just made me i was angry for 18 years yeah and i just stopped about 18 months ago i said i'm done and i'll periodically check in but i don't consume it anymore because i'm happy and i'm happier now because i gotta live my life i gotta do my things and not worry about all this garbage because it's just you know it's biased at best
1: I wrote a book a few years ago called Feardom and it was all about how our emotions are exploited by others certainly politicians but also the media mm-hmm. and and yeah people who are hooked to the talk show hosts and the radio and the fox or the cnn and everything else rather than acting you end up being acted upon right you're you're in so many ways being controlled and buffeted about because they they basically are manipulating your emotions and constantly keeping this kind of sense of urgency and this dopamine drip where we're just kind of addicted to what's next and what did they say and what happened then? And, you know, what do I need to be outraged about today? (laughs) Right. And I totally understand why some people just check out. I, I don't fault them at all. I I get it. Um, And, and there's kind of, you know, some rationality to that because some people are so disgusted by um, the way these things go, the, the, you know, quote unquote, mainstream media, these infotainment channels And, uh, you know, I think it's a rational response to say, I don't want that toxicity in my life. I think there are many ways that we can avoid that and still kind of, you know, move forward, not only with our own stuff, but kind of for that social good, um, you know, trying to still be a watchman on the tower. But it is hard. And, uh, you know, you're you're beset at every step by people who are just kind of addicted to that dopamine drip of their daily outrage. Well, I, I just had
0: this vision of a pinball machine. You know we're the ball, and we get bounced from one headline to the other. It's just tap dancing around the headlines, because um, it's sexy and exciting. Yeah. Um, but it's you, you got you got to decide. You know which. you know, get. They're a business. Media is a business, and we have to understand that because and and, yep. and just know it again at the very least they're biased. But, um. <sighs> you talked about, you know, some of the victories you may have had, you know, in in this, you know, I guess we can maybe define what a victory looks like. And then, um, you know, some of your, some of the greatest things that you guys have achieved with your, with your group that you're proud of.
1: Oh man. Um, (laughs) You know, I uh, certainly the, the one that's been the most emotionally um, exhausting and triumphant for me was medical cannabis. This was an issue that impacted so, so many people in in just very personal ways. Hearing about, uh, and we became kind of this conduit for all these like sick and suffering people to share their stories, their plight. Seeing people in other states who were using this plant uh, to help them where no other medication was or whatever. And uh, their frustration that I want to use that too, but I don't want my children to be taken away from me. I don't want to lose my job and so forth. And, uh, you know, being subjected to that voluntarily, but, but nonetheless subjected to that constant um, yearning and all the problems and all the just emotional weight and then having to manage this campaign uh, against the entire establishment. I mean, literally all of the power brokers in Utah were against us when we did that ballot proposition. Uh, you know, the governor's office, the legislature, the police, PTA, the chamber of commerce, the LDS church, like uh, realtors, like all, all the, the political establishment was united against us. It was very much kind of, I felt like David to the, you know, the Goliath of the the political elite. And, uh, you know, when we, we finally succeeded and, and came out on the other end victorious and, um, it was just immensely satisfying to see like a lot of our issues, will succeed and it'll benefit, you know, you know, a few thousand people here, or there, depending on what the issue is. And that's the fantastic. And it's why we do it. It's, it's very much kind of acts of service trying to make lives uh, better for a lot of people. And uh, you know, the medical cannabis one was just so profound because there's so, so many people who uh, would benefit are, are now benefiting because the law has been changed. And, and in just such, substantial ways. I remember my, my neighbor, we filmed her story and, uh, you know, her daughter, they had a, a son who died of this kind of epileptic, um, uh, type of incident, uh, and, and, and disorder. And, uh, you know, how tragic that is. And, and then they find that their, their daughter, um, now has the same condition and how terrified would you be that, you know, here we go again. And, just hearing her story and and capturing that kind of emotional trauma that they have and how terrified they are and that she decided, you know, screw it. I'm going to go break the law because I wish I would have done it to hopefully save my son. But, you know, if they're really going to try and take me away from my kids, so be it. But in the meantime, I'm going to help my kids or my, my, my daughter. And so she went out and broke the law and, and just started using a little bit of uh, THC oil. Um, and she's like, like I can't even describe for you the relief of having her sleep and and smile and just totally transform just because of a couple of drops under her tongue uh, of, of a substance that is way, way, way less problematic than all the crazy drugs that they've been pumping her full of at the hospital whenever she goes so. That that was just an uh, immensely deeply satisfying issue for us to work on because it was so transformative. It it really shifted a lot of of people's hearts and minds in Utah, who you know initially were like, oh, marijuana's bad. You know, we don't want any drug legalization. And and over the few years that we did the campaign, the numbers were shifting like crazy because we were sharing these personal stories of people who were like, look, I'm a you know goody two shoes whatever. I've never smoked or drank in my life, but I want to use this because the medication I'm on sucks and has all these crazy side effects and I want to try something natural and I don't want to go to jail over it. (laughs) And, uh, anyways, just that, 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 you know, we work on a lot of stuff. We work on property rights issues and parental rights and economic liberty, business regulation, taxes, criminal justice reform, all these kinds of things. And, uh, I, you know, probably because I was kind of tip of the spear of the whole medical cannabis thing and managing the campaign and the face of it. And, and that was kind of, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a, uh, a week on top of everything else I had to do. Um, I, I still have a lot of scars, you know, from that fight. And, uh, but, you know, when you look back after a battle and you can kind of see the the ground you've gained and um, it's, yeah, that that's kind of top of mind for me. <coughs> That's a, a
0: pretty amazing story and you know, that is a definitely David and Goliath thing for sure. What kind of effects does this have on your family? And and do people come after you, you know, thinking that you have ulterior motives or you get you I mean, now that you're in the limelight, you're the you know, public figure, you're I'm sure susceptible to, you know, whatever's out there. So how does that how does that look in your home?
1: Um, you know, it's uh it's it's tough. Uh, To be uh, um, kind of a magnet for haters, Uh, you know, uh, that campaign in particular, there were a lot of people who were upset about some of the strategic choices we were making and, you know, to the point where in one particular incident, we had to call the cops to um, kind of patrol the neighborhood uh, because of a threat that was made against my children, which is just crazy. But, you know, again, there, there you go when everyone has a platform, you know everyone can kind of spout off on social media and say crazy things. Um, I, I've been accused of all kinds of things of, you know, uh, taking bribe money and just trying to, you know, do certain things to kind of, you know, that I sold some people out or whatever, you know, there are some people who think I have this nefarious agenda to start legalizing meth, you know, and cocaine, and whatever. And, what's next? And Come on, what's it's the, freedom. America's what's the, freedom. Why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> what's Heck What's yeah. the end goal, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I in fact, you had mentioned in the little bio there that <clears throat> the Salt Lake Tribune ended up naming me one of the more politically, uh, I don't know what it was, politically influential people or whatever in, uh, in Utah and, and that was in large part because of, you know, what happened on that medical cannabis campaign. It was, it was very polarizing, you know, and, Um, I've got a very thick skin. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of used to people disagreeing with me and spouting off their views. And I used to kind of engage a lot more, you know, years ago, I'd kind of be the keyboard warrior, you know, fighting back. And, but now I'm like, you know what, that's fine. I mean, I'm sure we agree on some other stuff you're, you're welcome to disagree here. I'm not going to waste my, my, my time is more productively spent, you know, doing other things. And, um, so I've, I've got very thick skin. I can deal with it, but you know it's hard on on your spouse who uh, didn't like. My wife never signed up for that kind of stuff because she married a web developer, <laughs> right? Who's, who's in an office in a dark hole, yeah, right, <laughs> right, Not much, right? Just slip pizza under the door, keep him fed. He'll keep working. Um, you know, I I kind of had this uh, transformation shortly after we got married. Total career shift and. And now, you know, it's not just I work at a think tank or I'm, you know, working on some issues. I'm like the face the of a lot of these issues. And so, yeah, you do uh, attract um, some haters. But, you know, I, I feel like I've been able to do this in a way that I'm, I'm uh, respectable and respected in the sense that, um, you know, when we're leading out on a controversial issue, I, I do it diplomatically. I'm not a grenade thrower. I'm not going to go out there and, shame everyone who disagrees i'm not going to go out and call people names and foment all this insurrection it's it's just well, then you become you know, like the opposition
0: you become like you know the media
1: yeah so just trying to meet people where they're at and nudge them a little further in our direction and have a discussion and see where we agree and how far we can move things in the direction we want so it's um yeah i'm the face for a lot of issues but i would say um i mean you know just this year we uh, got polygamy decriminalized in, in Utah for decades. It's been a felony uh, for consensual polygamists. And and that's caused all kinds of problems that, uh, that led to Warren Jeffs and a lot of these abusers who were able to kind of scare their, um, you know, followers into, you know, becoming this reclusive society, kind of like North Korea, you know, and Oh the, yeah. Yeah. You push on the underground where there's no sunlight, there's, you know, abuse can happen. No one reports it. It created all these problems. And, you know, there's another controversial issue because there's just some extremely passionate people, anti polygamists, former polygamists. They want all the polygamists in jail. They they think they're all abusers. Here we come along trying to decriminalize, and they suddenly think that we're the devil incarnate for trying to, you know, legalize these what they perceive to be these you know horrible people. And um, so but I share that just because that's kind of a recent example where like, yeah, we did it. We won. We succeeded but it wasn't a kind of bombastic thing. It wasn't a, you know, battle with, you know, weapons drawn and so forth. It was just a lot of conversation a lot of meeting people where they're at and explaining our views. And yeah, it was a face for that issue. Um, a face uh, for that issue. But uh, I think I, I feel like I've gotten to a point in my life where I've been able to figure out how to uh, reason with people and, yeah, even if it's controversial and even if they don't like what we're doing, uh, they at least know that my motives are pure and I don't you know, hate them for it. I'm not going to call them evil. I'm not going to, you know... Uh, to me, it's not a battle, you know, really. It's just, let's have a lot of dialogue and see where we can meet and go from there.
0: Well, I think that's... It's just, it just coming to an agreement with people, especially ones that disagree with you, that hey, I just want to understand you. I'm not trying to destroy you or convert you, but just where do you... How do you come to these... Your position what has happened in your life that, that's led you to hold the perspectives that you have and if we all if both sides of any discussion would come to the table with that attitude i think we would accomplish well at the very least you know the the contention and anger would subside and we could at least talk but now it's just like these head like these haters you mentioned i'm sure they're headline they're headline bouncers they don't really they don't really look at what's really going on, or they're not willing to talk about it. Because I think all these people that you know, these haters, if they saw you in person, they they'd realize that you're you're just a guy puts his pants on the same way they do, and and you're just trying to do what you think's right. But they get charged about it, and it's you know all emotion. If we just spend two minutes talking to each other, yeah, more would be accomplished.
1: And that's where I think social media causes problems because you know people are much more willing to say things uh, online, or you know even if they're not hiding behind a fake account, you know, even just people using their own accounts, people are much more willing to type something out than they are to say to your face. And keep and I've I found keep that. Courage. Yeah. Like I, I found over the years that when I confront people who, you know, said a certain thing online, they're of course very apologetic and sheepish. And um, because I think they realize that that's kind of a, a social note, like, okay, certain cases it may be called for and it, they may be wrong and you want to Call someone out. I get that, but uh, the propensity to just attack people and and speak ill of people um, when they're not you know in front of you and you don't have to deal with them it, it is kind of an interesting dynamic, especially in the political world. You know, especially during election season, um, it can get pretty crazy. So I don't know what that means for our world in the next you know years and decades, but I, I don't see that trend going back uh, in any way.
0: Well, it's easy. I, I, to get engaged on any level takes a lot of effort, and I'll just use a social, you know, social media as an example. Uh, last year, I had this gallon of chocolate milk that went bad in my refrigerator, and it was disgusting. And I, was, I filmed my son pouring it down the drain, and it went cr- not crazy viral, but it got out of my social media pages. It got a ton of attention. Whereas something that I would post that actually would help someone better their lives, like, you know, you know, inspirational quote or a personal development thing that really would help someone barely got a notice. Right. Because I think it's easy to go, Hey, that's funny. I like that. Let's, you know, just like it and move on. But to actually engage in something that matters takes effort and people just don't have the time or want to. It's hard.
1: It me. is hard. And I think people have to be in the right spot. You know, I think right now uh, seeing government shut, kill businesses, basically shut, shut people's lives down and create other harms. I mean, domestic violence calls are skyrocketing. Suicide calls are skyrocketing. Uh, businesses are closing. Unemployment is, I don't know what a superlative is beyond skyrocketing, you know, like it's just astronomically uh, increasing. And, uh, you know, I, I think right now it's definitely created a circumstance in which people are engaged a bit more and they realize, and, and maybe there's kind of fertile ground to help people realize that the government can cause a lot of harm, you know, and even if it's in an ostensibly good purpose, trying to avoid the spread of a disease, there are some countries that have not responded that way and they're doing all right. Um, you know, they, uh, it, I don't know. From my position, I kind of am, am paying attention. What are those opportunities? Consider homeschooling. I homeschool my kids. Uh, as I said, I'm a big critic of uh, the public school system. And I mean, I wrote a, a, an edited a, a book last year called Skip College. Um, and you know, as a college graduate, I look back and say I kind of wasted four years of my life that I could have better spent. You know, moving up the career ladder, gaining more skills, being out in the real world, and and not you know, incurring all that debt and so forth. So. I'm very intrigued by the current environment in which uh, of necessity, I guess, all these schools were shut down and all these people, all these parents are now kind of being forced into this homeschooling experiment. And that's not really homeschooling, especially when the school's still saying here are your worksheets and here's your homework and here's the project. Uh, however, um, you know, I was looking at a, a poll just the other day showing that uh, 52% of this is the national survey, 52%. Uh, percent of, uh, of, of parents now find homeschooling more favorable as a result of coronavirus. I mean, that's huge. And, and what is that going to lead to? And what are the opportunities to talk to people and to uh, help them see different perspectives and gain other experiences and reconsider the status quo are going to arise from all the conflict and confrontation and, and controversy that have been happening with coronavirus? Uh, so yeah, there's lots of problems, but there's also opportunities and that's oh, something that I'm trying to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, this is going to, I'm really excited for all the new things that are going to come about because of this. This has been a great reset for everybody, but Hey, out of respect for your time, I know you got to go here shortly. Is there, is there anything that, that maybe I haven't asked that you want people to know? And then, uh, you know, what's next for, for you and, uh, Libertas?
1: Um, so, you know, we're, um, we're just in Utah. For any listeners outside of Utah, I would say go check out spn.org. That stands for State Policy Network, uh, which is kind of the umbrella organization for a lot of these kind of freedom fighter think tanks in different states. So you can look up, you know, who's in my state and, and connect with them, follow them, uh, see how you can help. Uh, organizations like ours always depend on uh, certainly financial support from people who agree, who want uh, us to help. Um, make a difference and and get rid of some of these bad laws and so forth uh but but even just you know sharing content and and engaging as well, paying attention, talking to elected officials um, I, I think now is a great time to be a little more focused on uh, our backyard the The news media makes it very easy, very seductive to pay attention to what 's happening nationally uh, it's very easy to get outraged at all the big national controversies, but that 's where very, 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 very few people can have any kind of influence at all. And so we, we expend all of this mental energy, all this emotion on things that we can't actually influence. About. And so why not take even just a, a fraction of that attention and energy to a level where you can make a difference? I mean, what is your state legislature doing? What is your mayor doing? What does is, what is the city council say? Do you even know them? Take your city councilman out to lunch, follow them on Facebook, connect with them on Instagram, strike up a relationship, Uh, you know, focus on an area where just the mere fact that you're involved a little bit is so disproportionately better than the average person. You can have, anyone can have influence at a local and even at a state level. Um, it's, it's actually not that hard. And that is kind of the hidden secret to this is that everyone's so distracted with all these big things that they kind of overlook the very areas of government where they can influence the process and make a difference. So that would be, I guess, my parting invitation is there's a lot of problems right now. There's going to be a lot of challenges ahead. Um, like, like you, uh, Brian, a long time ago, I kind of clicked off the, all the 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 daily outrage channels and and uh, you know I'll selectively pay attention to certain stories. The way I do it is if I see on social media like four or five six people sharing the same thing, then I'll be like, okay, that's enough validation. I'll I'll kind of look into that. And rather than just you know reading Drudge Report every day and you know what should I be upset about today, okay. um, so so you know pay attention a little bit, be selective about uh, your outrage. <laughs> But then uh, I kind of think of like steam, right? Years past, I would just let off steam every day. Facebook comments and, you know, and, and, and that steam would just kind of evaporate and I'd supposedly feel better until the next time I did it. But man, you can power a freaking locomotive with steam, right? If you channel that energy and, and you capture it and you, you focus it, you can do a lot of good. You can move a massive vehicle. You can, you can make a lot of difference. And so, you know, I would just say for those who, Um, are kind of feeling this applies to them figure out a way to capture some of that energy reserve some of it and apply it to something productive and and at a more local level i think we can all make uh, the world a better place
0: and that'll empower people really to feel like they do matter and that what they do matters sure that's people just don't they feel dismissed and so yeah so dude uh, awesome thank you so much for sharing we could we could go on forever and especially about the education thing i could deck a whole nother (laughs) two hour <laughs> conversation. Cause I'm with thanks you for that. having me. So anyway, so thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, let me know if I can help you
1: out with anything. Great. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you again for listening to the parish, the thought show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at Brian Keith, parish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us.